So um, I occasionally fall down uh, an inter- internet rabbit hole. Anybody ever have that happen where you stop, you start watching one YouTube video or one TikTok video, and then like three hours later, you're like, what am I even doing with my life? Um, so this week, I actually, uh, I got sucked into looking at um, tattoo fails. Um, I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody. Uh, anybody else ever done that? I mean, am I the only one? Okay. They're so good. And so there were a few of them that were just too good not to share. And so I brought a few of them that I just found hilarious. Uh, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. So this first one makes me, uh, yeah, woo. Uh, this first one makes me very happy because it was a Steelers fan um, that ruined his arm. Um, he's the Steers, just the Steers. I'm not, I'm not sure what, what happened there. Doesn't it look like somebody, I don't, yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, this one was kind of fun. This guy saw a tattoo on his dog, and so he's like, whoa, that's super cool. I'm going to get that same tattoo, not knowing that that means that you're neutered. Um, that's, what that, that's what that means, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, this guy, I think this guy, uh, yeah, that one speaks for itself. Yeah, I mean, just, I don't, I'm not sure why Holly is in quotes. I don't know if that's not her real name, um, but that one's, and then, uh, and then there's this guy, um, It's Is My Life by John Bovey. Um, it's Is Awesome. That's what that is. And finally, there's this one, Find Your Way Own. Find Your Way Own. Now, you may or may not have any tattoos, but one thing that is true of all of us is that whatever has captured your heart, whatever has meaning to you in your life, eventually it makes its way to the surface of your life. And honestly, that's always been the case. I don't know if uh, you did this as a kid, but I was a, a child of the 80s. And so I remember, you know, as a kid, the walls of my room were absolutely covered with posters of supercars and my favorite athletes and cardboard album covers. Anybody ever collect those? You remember those? Um, anybody listen to records when they were growing up? Okay, anybody still listen to records? Anybody never listened to a record before ever? Okay, a few of us, all right. Uh, they're apparently a big thing again. Uh, but the popularity of, of records today is kind of proof that everything sort of comes back around. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, like I said, I was born in the 80s, and so I had the album covers of different, different bands and groups and artists. Um, uh, and, and like, I, I think at one point, my brothers had like a Springsteen one, and then there was a U2 Joshua Tree one, and then there was uh, one from the police. Any police fans? Anybody, do you guys know the 80s music? Anybody not? Okay, this is not, like, clearly, I'm like the old guy, like, remember the Rolling Stones, you guys? Uh, but no, like, I had a run DMC. Anybody run DMC? Anybody know? Okay. But then you get, maybe, maybe music's not the thing. You get to high school, and, and you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and, and your locker kind of becomes a shrine to that person, and you plaster pictures of her or him, and that super dreamy football player, that super cute oboe player from band, if you were kind of a band nerd, or the girl that you're sort of secretly stalking, hoping that she notices you. And so maybe for you, the thing that, that worked itself out, you know, it, it worked its way out in the form of a tattoo, or maybe it was the car that you drive, or your hunting room, or your garage, or your gaming room, or maybe it's your Instagram account, but we all tend to materialize on the outside the stuff that that really is imprinted on our hearts. I I absolutely love our church 
And I love what we're building together. So a few weeks ago, we started this series talking about and really answering the question, does church, does this matter? Does it matter for you and your family? Does it, does it matter for the world out there at large at all? And, and, and I think if we're honest, we'd have to admit that we all spend a ton of our time in our lives doing things and even building things that don't really or won't really matter in the end. And so we've spent time during these conversations kind of looking at this place and this thing that we're doing together and dreaming together about what could be and what should be and what God wants to do in our lives and through our lives collectively about what we could build together with God's help. I'm a a huge believer in the human story and and I believe that stories are really powerful and I, I love it when I when, when, when people share their stories with me, which is why we're, you know, we ask you to do that because of South Hills card, because no matter how messed up you think you are or your life has been or your story is, like this place is a place where you actually belong. And, and so I get the privilege of hearing a lot of people's different stories. For instance, sitting here in our church, in this campus at South Hills, Idaho, are people who had given up on God, people had, who had given up on faith and church people who had written off church and religion and faith as being not really relevant for their life, not really something that applied to them, not really something that they cared about, certainly not for their family. And, and, and so, but, but people that as they began to tell their stories and write down just from a few of the things that got written down on the Because of South Hills card, like the, the, the small part of their God story that's taken place here at South Hills. And so I wanted to share a few of those with you. So somebody wrote these words, my kids ask about and want to go to church for the first time ever in their lives. I think that that's pretty cool. Like I want, like we want to have a church where your kids wake up and they're like, we want to go to church. Somebody else wrote at South Hills, we found friends and a church family. Somebody else wrote, I- I've begun to turn my life around since starting to attend at South Hills. Somebody else jotted down and made note of the fact that they had struggled with addiction in their life and that somebody gave them a Bible, a friend at work and talked them into going to church. And while they feel like they have a long way to go, like they're just finally finding their way forward. I'm so thankful for this church, what they wrote at the end. Somebody else just wrote these words, I don't feel alone. And so it just goes on and on and on and on the stories and so if you're new around here, like maybe, maybe like t- telling a little bit of those stories, it might feel a little bit self-promotional or like prideful, but honestly, like none of it comes from that place at all. I just think it's important for us to be reminded on a regular basis of why this matters. See, the truth is we're about a year old as a church. I think last week we said like it was our 52nd Sunday um, you know, but that we, we started having services before we fully launched. And so that includes those. And, and, and so thanks to you being a part of this, thanks to your generosity, thanks to you leaning in, thanks to your volunteering, thanks to you being involved in the community. Next week, we actually get to launch into having two services, as you heard a second ago. And, and maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal to you, but I think it's extraordinary that together we've created a place that reaches unchurched people, that reaches de-churched people, a place where you, could, you and I can invite others to experience our church family without really insisting or demanding that they embrace the faith that we've embraced, a place where skeptics and people who are far from God could show up and participate in church with us. 
and walk away saying, look, I'm not sure I believe it all, but that was helpful. I'm not sure I believe it all, but I'm so glad my kids are involved here. I'm not sure I believe all of that, but I'm so glad that church is part of my community. I'm not sure I believe it all, but there's something about that place. I'm not sure I really buy into it all yet, but I think I'll go back. See, I think it's a big deal that we build a church where doubters can come in and express their doubt, where people can ask their questions and wrestle with the answers, a church that kids actually look forward to going to in the morning when they get up, that doesn't just engage their minds, but also their hearts and their imaginations, where all of us and all of our messy and broken humanity belong and find meaning and hope and connection and beauty and life, where people can find Jesus a perfect place for all of us who count ourselves among those who are imperfect. And the heart that's driving all of that is what drove Jesus. Now, maybe the most famous story that Jesus ever told was actually part of a trilogy of stories that he told to express God's heart for people. So we're gonna read it together. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and beginning with verse one, this is what Luke records. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners We're all gathering around to hear Jesus. So the people that were most attracted to Jesus were the people who were broken and messed up. Verse two, it says, but the Pharisees who were the religious leaders and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. So I I want you to notice why Jesus is telling these stories because these are fantastic stories, but, but they were told in response to people were going, yeah, I don't know if that person really belongs at church. I don't know if God really can really clean up that person. I think that person's a little too messed up. I think that person's done a little too much. Like, I don't know, does God even have any standards is what these guys are saying, right? And so Jesus knows what they're saying. He knows the, what they're muttering to each other. And he tells, he tells these stories in response to the judgmental, unloving, uncaring religious people who were indignant that the wrong crowd was hanging around Jesus and that he was okay with it. And so this is what he says. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice for me, rejoice with me. He throws a, I found my sheep party. Verse seven, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Verse eight, or suppose a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one, doesn't she light a candle, a lamp, and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. By the way, if you call me to tell me you found your lost coin, just save it. That should have been a text. Uh, Verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there was rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repeats, Uh, who repeats, who repents. Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons and the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his pigs. And so he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants 
have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. But the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive and he is lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. So Jesus is unapologetic in his declaration that everyone matters to God. Now, the obvious theme of the three stories is that something that was valuable in the story went missing. And Jesus uses different examples to kind of drive home his point. So he begins with a sheep. He talks about a missing sheep. Today, like I I think that analogy would be like a, a dog, right? I've never known anybody who lost their dog be like, all right, it's all right. I mean, I have a couple other ones. Nobody's, nobody's ever done that unless you hate your dog. And then, you know, I don't know. And, and then he moves from sheep to coins. One of 10 valuable coins gets lost. It was part of a collection. It, it, it would amount to being what was worth 10 days wages. So it wasn't just like she lost a quarter. No, it completed a collection that she had. It was worth, it was valuable, it had some worth. And then finally, in his, you know, sort of crowning story, the story that most people kind of associate that Jesus has, having been told is that a man loses his young, youngest son to selfishness and rebellion and goes off on his own. See, God places the highest value on every single life. The heartbeat of our church is this, that as long as there are people who are out there who aren't in here, something valuable is missing. It's the next person who walks through that door. It's your friend or your husband. It's your neighbor who just sort of nods and smiles whenever you mention church. It's your wife or your kids or your brother-in-law. It's your college roommate. It's your Kim Lab partner. It's your witty, fun, trendy, spunky, listens to everyone without a hint of judgment, hairstylist. It's your dad, your sister who you talk to every day that you laugh with and cry with and pray for. It's your boss who looks like they have it all together. It's your fishing or hiking or golfing buddy. It's your running partner. It's your barista whose friendly chit-chat and coffee-making skills are kind of the anchor to your daily routine. It's your son or your daughter. It's the people that are in your life that if they're out there and they're not in here, something valuable is missing. They all matter to God. And because they matter to God, they matter to us. The truth is, we have been given an extraordinary opportunity to impact this valley. And I know that might sound like hyperbole to you. I know that might sound like kind of crazy to you, but I believe that with every ounce of my being, because you know this, we live in one of the fastest growing places in the country, which means that there are tons and tons of adults and college students and kids and junior high and high school students for us to have the opportunity to impact them. So I looked it up this week and, and so I wanted to show you a map of our valley. So here it is. Um, there's Eagle right in the middle because we're, of course, the center of the Treasure Valley universe. Uh, there's Boise and Meridian and CUNA and Nampa and Caldwell and 
If you get lost, you end up in Marsing and Middleton and Star and Emmett up high. And so then I went to this website and plugged in our location. And I just plugged in a 20-minute drive from where we currently sit right now and have church. And check out, check out what it showed. So within a 20-minute drive, now this is probably not true on Friday afternoon, but certainly it's true on Sunday morning. From Emmett to Cuna, from a little tiny sliver of Boise, over to Caldwell. 20-minute drive, this entire valley, 20-minute drive from where we are. We're a short drive from almost anywhere in this valley. So people are like, oh, man, I live way out in Middleton. Yeah, so what? See, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are within just a few-minute drive of us right now, and most of them are lost sheep, lost coins, and lost sons and daughters. But they're all, every single one of them, extraordinarily valuable to God, and they don't know it. Notice in every story that we read that there was an all-out search for the thing that was lost because love is never stationary. Love just doesn't go, ah, I mean, I, I just sort of, I hope that the people out there sort of find their way here. And as Jesus is telling each story, his attitude is, and he's going, the people in the story, their attitude is this. If this was you, wouldn't you do whatever it takes to find your sheep, to find your coin, to find your son? It was personal to the people who had lost something, meaning it's personal to God. And look, it is personal to me and to us, that God searches high and low, near and far, that God will search yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He goes after every single person, and my heart, my desire is that we are a church that will do exactly that same thing. God wants every single person as part of his family, and so do we. It will never, ever, 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 our church will never be about anything else. So the Apostle Paul, who um, was opposed to the movement of Jesus, then had an encounter with Jesus that completely changed his life and started traveling all over the Mediterranean rim, planting churches and writing letters. Um, and, and the letters that he wrote comprise a huge chunk of the New Testament. In, in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 3, listen to how personal it was for him. He writes these words. He says, for my people, I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off from Christ, if that would save them. He's going, if it would be possible, I would trade places with them in a heartbeat so that they could know the God that loves them. See, what matters to people, that's God's highest value. That's his only mission. In every story, there's a giant party when the thing that was lost was found. Now, I've, I mentioned before, but I saw a commercial, I don't know, a few years ago that, that for me kind of captures what I envision heaven like when somebody crosses the line of faith, when something that's been lost is found. It's a soccer commercial, and I know we don't do soccer in our culture, but it's all right. This commercial, this commercial is awesome. So take a look.
I imagine heaven like when somebody who's lost is found. It just makes me happy. I, I've watched that commercial a thousand times every time it makes me happy. Because I think that that is what happens when someone who's lost is found. See, if you're bored or tired or burnt out in your faith or with church or wondering how to grow, I'm telling you, this, this is the answer. If you want for church to actually take on an incredible dynamic, invite somebody who is not a follower of Jesus to come to church. And all of a sudden you're just like, oh man, I hope they sing that one song. I, I hope the pastor doesn't talk about giving. I hope people are nice to him. Right? Stuff that you don't normally think about, but all of a sudden you're like bought in. You have skin in the game. You care about what's going to happen. See, the story of the scriptures is summed up in that God is looking for man. He's looking for humanity. That man sinned, humanity sinned in the opening scene, and that God came looking for us, that he, he searches for us, not to punish us, but to love us and to cover over our nakedness, to cover our shame and take away our fear. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that God loves you and he's been looking for you. And you might think that you've been searching for God, but he's been searching for you. And he searches for you not because he doesn't know where you are, but so that you'll never forget that you have been found. He's been waiting for the moment when the fog clears and you can see him, waiting for the moment when the voices in your life get turned down and the noise in your soul gets turned down quiet enough for you to be able to hear his voice when he's speaking to you. What if we, you guys, what if we as South Hills Church, what if we dared to let God make what's personal to him personal to us? What if we, like Jesus, went after the people that don't have a family or the people who are lost, people that, that, that might not, you know, that be, they, they might be like the coin that were lost and they didn't know it. The coin was lost. They had no idea it was lost because it's a coin. Or, or maybe they're like the sheep where they were lost and they know they're lost. They feel lost. They understand it, but they have no idea how to find their way home. Or maybe they're like the son that know that they're lost and they know how to find their way home and they, they know what's waiting for them there, but they have come to believe that they're too broken and they're too messy and they're too far gone to be loved and accepted there by God. But we can change that. See, there's one thing that you can do, one thing that could change everything for somebody. And that one thing isn't a new thing. It's the reason that our church really exists at all is because people have been doing this thing for 23 years since South Hills first launched. It's the reason that our campus exists. It's the reason why people who you have never met believed enough to give so that we could start this church. It's the one thing that we can all do no matter who we are, no matter where we live, no matter how much time or money we have, no matter how much ability we have to serve, that we can make a difference for somebody. It's painfully simple in the way that we talk about it. Here it is. Invest, invite, include. You love your friends, you love your neighbors, you love the people you work with, And when the time is right, you just invite them to church. You invest in those relationships, you invite them to church, and then you include them in your spiritual journey. You include them in your church experience. You include them in why you give and when you serve and when you go to the men's breakfast and when you go to the ladies' dessert or the Sunday night hangout. When you're doing these things, 
that you just invest in those relationships. You invite somebody to join you and come along and you include them, not because they're projects, but because they're people who matter to God. It's the same reason you tell them about your new favorite restaurant that you just found. You don't want them to miss out. We go embarrassingly often to one restaurant. I mean, embarrassingly often. But we have told so many people about this restaurant and met them there and taken them there and bought their dinner. And uh, it's crazy. Why? Because I just like, there's other good Mexican food, but I'm like, yeah, this place is pretty awesome. Tell you later. See, here's the thing. I actually think our church is one of the best kept secrets in this valley. Not because I'm awesome, but because of what we're building together. I think we can actually change the fact that it's the best kept secret. That we can invest and invite and include. But I... I don't want us to just stop there because that that applies to people you already know and have a relationship with. But I I want to kind of begin to challenge us to invite strangers that you might not even know to church. And I know that feels and sounds crazy, but but I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that. I'd never ask you to do something that Hansi and I don't do and aren't doing. uh, And this is something that that she's really good at and I'm just kind of okay at. uh, But it's something that we do all, all the time. Uh, it's something that we've been doing for a long time. Whenever you hear somebody mentioned, we just call it the three knots. Uh, you just invite them to church. Uh, and, and here are the three knots. They're not in church. Things are not going well. Something's happening that they were not prepared for. They're not in church. They're not going well. Not prepared. Oh, I don't really go to church. Oh, you should come to my church. I'm not really a church person. I know, but you should come to my church. Oh, man, we moved here and we just weren't prepared for all the... Yeah, totally. You should, you should come to my church. Yeah, things... You know, you ask, you know, where my husband's been. I mean, things have not been really great. You should totally come to my church. See, whenever you hear somebody say one of these things, one of the three knots, not in church, not going well, not prepared for. We just moved into the area. We don't feel prepared for the start of school. Oh, man, there's so much going on. You should come check out my church. Come check out my church. Maybe you're thinking, Are you trying to say our church is the answer for everything? Maybe. I mean, what's the gospel not the answer for? I actually heard somebody say recently that there's only three problems in the world, sin, sorrow, and death. And when you think about it, it's true. Like every other problem comes out or can be traced back or has its roots in those three problems, sin, sorrow, and death. And the message of Jesus and the gospel, the person of Jesus has the answer and speaks to all three of those problems. And you and I, are carriers of that message. You and I, what we're creating together is built on that message. We're the containers that God pours his hope into. Why would we want to keep that to ourselves? Why would we not invite them? You're sitting in a restaurant. You hear the person behind you. Things are not going well. You're not prepared. You just, hey, I heard you. You should come to my church. Probably have to buy their lunch if you're going to do that. Now, I, I want to give you a specific invitation that you can use because this is too important for you to just sort of cross your fingers or for us to just kind of hope people find our way here and, 
like I said, my wife's really good at this and I'm a novice and she's really, for whatever reason, she's a lot better at like talking to people about it. And I just like get like this super giant anxiety and like sweaty palms when I just want to go talk to people or just to invite them to church. But, um, but, but here's the simple invitation that I've heard, I've heard her use a gazillion times. I've watched her use it and here it is. It's super simple. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. Come sit with me. Come, come to my church. You can come sit with me. Come sit with me. Not come to church with me sometime, or maybe you should check it out online. No, no, no. Come sit, meet me there. I'll come pick you up. We'll go together. We'll take our, we'll call, come sit with me. Now, obviously that means if you're going to say that, you probably got to be here, um, but you got to save a seat. And, and, but here's the thing. If you happen to serve somewhere where you couldn't sit with someone, all you got to do is tell us, hey, I invited somebody to church and they're going to come sit with me and we will take you off the serving schedule if need be, because this is too important. Come sit with me. Come join me. Sit next to me. I got a seat saved for you. Finally, I want to give you one more tool. It's a simple, I hate even using this, this term, but I don't know what else to call it. It's just a simple elevator pitch. It's not a sales pitch. We're not selling anything. Nobody wants to be sold anyway. But it is an elevator pitch. It's the why they should come to your church. It's, right, because it's not as simple as like, hey, you should come to my church. And they're like, oh, I never thought of that. Okay. Because if you say, come sit with me, very rarely will it, that be the end of the conversation. It'll usually be like, oh, I don't know. What's your church about? What kind of church is it? I'd rather get punched in the face by a gorilla than go to church. Like, I, like people have all kinds of responses. And so when those questions come, or those objections come, you just say, look, here's the thing. Life is complicated. You want to get it right. We want to help. What kind of church is it? Oh, you know how life is complicated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you want to get it right? Yeah. We just want to help. What, do you, what, what is it about? Like, you, know how, you know how like parenting is like really complicated? Life, parenting, school, dating, moving to a new city or a new state. You know how all that's complicated? You want to get it right? Like, you, you don't want your kids to be crazy? You, you want to get it right? We want to help. So here's the challenge for all of us that we would today invite somebody to come sit with us next week. Don't wait till Thursday or Friday to reach out to them. Don't wait till the middle of the week or Saturday night. Hey, I meant to, did you? No, like text them today. Think about, you have somebody in your mind right now, a family member, neighbor, annoying neighbor. Maybe you got to invite that person that's kind of your frenemy, coworker, the person you're just like, ah, that person really needs God, but they're never going to come to church. Like, invite them, reach out to them, bring them with you next week. Say, hey, come sit with me. Message them, drop some cookies off, meet them for dinner tonight or tomorrow night, go to breakfast, take them to coffee tomorrow morning, and just say, hey, come sit with me. Come check it out. And the last thing I want you to see is right on your seat, trying to make it as easy and accessible as possible because this is just too... Guys, this is too important. It really is too important because I don't care about having a big church. I care about people who are lost, discovering God's grace and love. And so in your seat, there's two cards. I, we purposely didn't give you any more than that because I don't, you know, you don't need to, t- if you want more, you can get more, but I don't want you to feel like you got to do more than just, just two, one person, two, two cards, whatever. Take them this week. This is the one simple thing that you could do that could change everything for somebody is go, hey, come to church with me.
come to church with me. Those stories I read, almost every single one of them are a part of our church because somebody invited them. Every single one of those stories started with somebody saying, hey, things aren't going well. Something not, you're not prepared. You, you should come to my church. You should come check it out. What, what, if we, what if we allowed God to capture our heart with what has captured his heart? We don't need to tattoo it on our arms or across our forehead. You just have a conversation. Make an invitation. Reach out. Can you imagine? There is a foolproof strategy for us to double the size of our church. If everybody just said, hey, come to church with me. They're not a project. Again, if you feel like, man, this is, I'm trying to sales pitch somebody, please don't do it. But if you know in your heart that there are people in your life that God loves and they are lost and they're valuable to God and they're valuable to you, what if we just had that simple conversation and invited them? Let's pray together.